Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the parable of the ten virgins. And at the end of the previous program, I was emphasizing the point that the oil that the virgins needed to have for their lamps was a symbolic representation of the Holy Spirit. That in the parable, they did not have enough oil, so they were not able to get to the marriage party. And that this can be viewed as a representation of the necessity of having the Holy Spirit within us, or we will not be a part of the kingdom of God. This, of course, is consistent with the gospel, the gospel having to do with sin, death, forgiveness for the sin, and the restoration of the life of God to deal with the death problem. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they experienced the penalty of that sin, and the day that they ate from the wrong tree, in that day they died. The death that they experienced was a spiritual death, which meant that the Holy Spirit that had been breathed within them, that made them into a living being, was withdrawn so that they became, what I believe is best described, as a dead being, very much alive to the world, but dead to God, because they no longer had the Holy Spirit within them. They no longer had the life of God within them. So there were two issues that needed to be addressed. The first issue, of course, is sin. That was addressed with the crucifixion. The Lord Jesus died for the sins of the world. But in order to resolve the death of humanity, the spiritual death of humanity, the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and then offered to humanity, to anyone who is willing to receive the Holy Spirit, he has offered the Holy Spirit to us. And once we receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit that had been lost in Adam, the Holy Spirit, then there is no sin that has been left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from us ever again according to the law. In the day that you sin, in that day you die. He has provided for forgiveness to the extent that there is no sin left unforgiven so that the Holy Spirit will never depart from within us. So if we were to consider this definition of the gospel and correspond it to the parable of the ten virgins, the virgins who had oil, they had oil. And the virgins who did not have oil, They did not have oil. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 3, it says, Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Even though in verse 8, they say, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Well, according to verse 3, they didn't have any oil at all. And so if their lamps were going out, it was because they had no oil in them anyway. I personally believe that this is a symbolic representation of, of the Holy Spirit, and how important it is for us to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But the conclusion of this parable is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13, where he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. 
What does he mean by watch therefore? He doesn't mean that you have to try to do more in order to get ready or in order to ensure that you are ready. I understand that a lot of people do believe this and a lot of people do teach that and I will explain that more in just a moment. I just wanted to start with my position that I personally believe that what he is saying is that you will be ready if you have the Holy Spirit within you, the oil within your lamp, as is described in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, that the spirit of man is the lamp of God, searching the inner depths of his heart. In fact, I did a program on this verse titled The Lamp of God, where I talk about this in detail. For now, I'd just like to mention the proverb in the context of the lamp and the oil that our spirit is the lamp of God that requires the oil, the Holy Spirit, to be within it so that it will illuminate the heart of God so that we might see the depths of his heart. And that if we are saved, we will certainly have this personal interactive relationship with him as we will see his heart because he reveals his heart to us. In this revelation that takes place, we grow to know him, and he grows to know us, which I believe will fulfill what is expected when the bridegroom goes to the door and says, I don't know who you are, beginning in verse 10. This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. This is what he will say to those who are not ready when the time is up. When the end finally comes, when he says, this is it, this is the end, this is the time where he says that there is a decision that is going to be made. The decision is going to discriminate between the lost and the saved. Those who are saved will have a place with him in his kingdom. Those who are lost will not. And so I believe that this needs to be known and understood and that if you understand this, then you can be at peace. You can be at rest and you can read a parable such as this one with confidence, knowing that you are one of his that you are one who is alive and that his forgiveness has made it possible for you to be alive eternally. The confusion that usually erupts from this passage is from people who do not understand the gospel in that way. They understand the gospel differently. They may believe that the gospel has to do with Jesus died for your sins, but you had better stop sinning, otherwise he might hold those against you in the future. Or Jesus died for your sins and so you may need to engage in some good works or we need to see some fruit in your life. We need to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life or we need to see an acceptable level of holiness in your life or else we may question whether or not you have enough oil. And then what people will do is they will make a transition, a very subtle transition, a subtle transition from the oil representing the Holy Spirit of God, to the oil representing your works in your flesh. The oil representing your behavior, what it is that you do for God, or what it is that you do not do because it is evil. 
people will change the representation, the symbolic representation of the oil into something else, which will then create uncertainty. This is where the uncertainty comes from. It comes from a poor understanding of the gospel. Usually people will understand forgiveness, but they will not understand salvation by the restoration of life. And so they have a hard time making the correlation between the Holy Spirit and the oil and will eventually default to a belief that the oil represents the saving works or the behavior of an individual that demonstrates their faith. Without this, they may be an individual who does not have enough oil. Now, there are many reasons why people could go in this direction. There are many legitimate reasons, even though I do believe that it is an illegitimate conclusion. People do have their reasons. If their understanding of the gospel has to do with sin and forgiveness, if that's it, if that's the limit of their understanding of the gospel, that is a legitimate reason as to why they would eventually believe these kinds of things, because there really is no other direction to go in. Eventually, you will find yourself in a system of works, in a system of repentance and obedience of some kind. That's what I mean by a legitimate reason, even though I believe it's wrong. But there are other things that may motivate people to take this kind of a position. Consider, for example, what the Lord said during the Sermon on the Mount. He did say something that was very similar to this, that was similar to this. Consider Matthew chapter 25, verse 11, and then I'll go to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 11, what it says is, is afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's in verse 12. I do not know you. Now, the Lord said something similar to this before in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's very similar to what he said later in Matthew chapter 25. I don't know who you are. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. And so people will take these two passages, put them together. I believe that this is a legitimate approach, even though I do believe that the conclusion is in error. But people will take these two passages, just to give you an example, they will put them together and they will say that the oil represents the degree of lawlessness that you are engaged in. That you need to be sure that you are not practicing lawlessness. You need to be sure that you are obedient to God, that you are repenting from your sins. This is how they will put that together. Now, I have done a series of programs on the Sermon on the Mount where I do explain that what he conveys here is the fact that there is no way for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven through your repentance and obedience because you will never be able to repent and obey enough and that this was one of the objectives of the Sermon on the Mount. It was to show people that they had a need for forgiveness, for mercy, and that they were going to have to enter into the kingdom of heaven some other way besides their repentance and obedience because they simply were not going to be able 
to achieve it to the standard that God requires. But if we take that and try to insert that into Matthew chapter 25, there can be a complication. The complication is that we have to change the representation, the symbolic representation of the oil. We have to change that to repentance and obedience, the works of the law, the works of the Spirit, the expectation of holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, things like that. We have to make that the criteria for salvation. This is what often motivates people to explain the parable of the ten virgins in the way that they explain it, because they are seeing a connection here through similar words. Now, if the Lord Jesus was confronted with this, I believe he would say, I do, I do believe that he would say that a person has to have complete, absolute repentance and obedience in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven if they're going to go before the Lord and say that they have a place there because they don't sin, then perhaps that could be a legitimate conversation that a person could have with the Lord Jesus. And I believe that the Lord would confirm that. If you were to ask him, Lord, are you saying that a person has to repent and obey? Otherwise, you're going to say to them, you don't know who they are. He would say, according to the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, well, of course, yes, if you are not obedient to the law, if you are not perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, then I will tell you that I don't know who you are and that you don't have a place in my kingdom. He would also say, but this criteria is never going to be achieved by anyone. He was surrounded by people who thought that they could achieve that, But it's not going to be real. No one will ever enter into the kingdom of heaven according to that criteria. It is legitimate criteria. It is true criteria. It is criteria that he conveyed. But it is criteria that no one will ever be able to achieve. So there must be a different criteria. There must be different criteria. And I believe that the different criteria has to do with recognizing your need for the grace and mercy of God recognizing his provision for forgiveness for your condition of your sin, recognizing his provision of the Holy Spirit for your spiritually dead condition, embracing what he has to offer, be thankful, be resurrected, be made alive, be born again, be a child of God, and rest in the truth of what he has accomplished on your behalf, not in what you think you're going to accomplish on your own behalf. On that basis... There is greater value in understanding this parable in the context of the oil, that the oil is the symbolic representation of the Holy Spirit, not a symbolic representation of our works. If it was the symbolic representation of our works, there would never be enough works, there would never be enough repentance, there would never be enough obedience. So I believe that what he describes here subtly is the second set of criteria. The first criteria in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says that I will not know who you are because you fail. The second set of criteria, he says, I will not know who you are because you will not be alive. Again, the first set of criteria where he says, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, I never knew you, depart from me. That is according to the criteria of their failure to repent and obey. But in the parable that was given about the ten virgins, 
where he says in verse 12, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I believe that that is according to the criteria that the person has not been made alive according to the Holy Spirit. But of course, having said all of this, the reason why he gave the parable of the ten virgins was not necessarily to say that, not for that to be the primary issue. To me, the primary issue is found in verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You don't know when he's going to come. And so if you are going to, if I may use the expression, get right with God, you're going to have to do it before he arrives. It's something that you're going to have to settle. You're going to have to resolve long before he comes. Because when he comes, that's the end. There is nothing more that he is going to allow. There is nothing more to do. There will be a division between the lost and the saved. And you need to be one of those who are saved if you're going to be a part of his kingdom. This is the emphasis, that you do not know when this is going to occur. How is it that a person will cope with this if they do not understand the nature of the gospel? I don't think a person can, and I don't think a person should. I think that a person should be confused, they should be concerned, they should be restless, they should be uncertain if they do not have a clear understanding of the gospel. So that hopefully they'll come to the point of recognizing that they have a poor understanding of the gospel, get that corrected, and then they can have the assurance you can live in peace, you can live in the rest that I believe he wants for us. You can experience that and enjoy that and function in your daily life, living every day in a way that I believe he would want us to live, not being afraid, not being concerned, not being uncertain, but living in the love of God, living in the certainty of who he is, of what he has done for us, to live being at peace, knowing that regardless of when he comes, if he comes tomorrow or if he comes in a time that is well beyond our lifetime, regardless of when this occurs, we can live today. We can live right now. It can be quite a challenge for people to embrace this, to embrace the idea of living every day as if it is your first and also at the same time living every day as if it is your last. This is the way that I live. I do live every day as if it is my first and as if it is my last. I, of course, have my struggles concerning this because my personality does struggle with issues related to the future and does struggle with issues related to the present. And so I do have struggles concerning that, and I could, of course, tell you about my own personal thoughts about how I am able to live my life in a way that I can live day by day recognizing both of these realities simultaneously, I can tell you about how I understand these things and how I function in my own life experience. But I have to be honest with you, I don't believe that this is what the Lord would have for you. I believe that this is something that you need to speak with the Lord about yourself and that he needs to speak with you about this. I'm only suggesting, I'm presenting the importance of considering the fact that living your life in this way is something that is important and that it's something 
that I believe you should speak with the Lord about. Ask the Lord yourself what it means or what it would mean for you to live every day as if it is your first and also at the same time how you might live every day as if it is your last. How might you live in a way that you can be at peace, recognizing that if he comes at any moment, you will not be ashamed, you will not feel guilty, and you will be thankful for the life that he gave you and for the things that he allowed you to be a participant in. These are the kinds of things that I would like to encourage you to ask him in prayer, to pray about these things and ask him to give you some insights concerning these things, and that this should be, I would expect this to be, an individual experience. So instead of continuing with that topic, I would like to end this program with something else that he conveys here that I think is very easy to miss. And that is that he speaks about knowing us. He says this in both places, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, where he says, I never knew you, depart from me. There is something there about him knowing us, him knowing who we are in the way that we would like him to know us in accordance with the gospel, in accordance with us being one of his children, in accordance with us being a part of his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 12, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. This is something that can be overlooked easily. And I would just like to take a moment to speak about this in order to emphasize the point that I don't think that this should be overlooked as easily as it often is. Now, personally, I think that the reason why it is often overlooked is because people don't know how to handle this. How do you put yourself or how do you get yourself into a position or into a situation or into a condition that you would feel confident in saying that the Lord knows you? How is this going to be achieved? I mean, we certainly are not going to be able to achieve this by doing a lot of great things for God and then standing up and shouting about these great things that we have done for God so that he might perhaps hear us, hear our pleas, and we're certainly not going to be able to tell people who are going to die before we die, tell people about these things to bring before God and tell him about these things before our time is up and we have to go and see him. Perhaps there are others who might testify on our behalf who will tell him about the great things that we have done. If we are going to be known by God because of the great things that we do, then what are those things going to be? Is there anything that you can think of that you will ever be able to do, or for that matter, not do, but how about those things that you will be able to do so that you can feel confidence, you can have some sense of confidence that the Lord sees that, that he is impressed, and he will want to know who you are, or he will say that he knows who you are because of what you have done. I personally cannot think of anything because the only things that I have participated in, that I have done, that I believe are of value to God are those things that he has done within and through me. Not those things that I have done for him, but those things that he has done within and through me, that those are the things that are of significance to the extent where he might be willing to say that he knows who I am. Not because of the things that I have done for him, but because of the things that he has done for me and because of the things that he has done within and through me, would he say that he knows who I am? Now, if I was to have a conversation with him about this, if he was to ask me, for example, 
If he was to ask me, do I know who you are? I would say with confidence, oh, yes, you do. You know exactly who I am. And the reason why I can say that with confidence is, well, do you remember, Lord, when you talked to me about this? Do you remember when you showed me this verse in the scriptures and you illuminated to me the depths of your heart through this verse? Do you remember what you shared with me concerning that? And I believe that he would say, yes, he remembers sharing those things with me. On that basis alone, I have confidence that I can go before the Lord and remind him, even though I don't think that I would be in that circumstance, I'm only describing this in a way that I can say that I personally have confidence because I know that he knows that I know that he knows that I know his heart, that he knows what he has shared with me, and I know what he has shared with me. I know the illumination that he has done in my spirit through the presence of his spirit within me. On that basis, not just on the basis of the truth that he has conveyed, but on the basis of the revelation of himself in my life as I have grown in faith, as I have grown in Christ, in those small moments where he has shared something with me, he has revealed to me something that gives me confidence in knowing that he knows who I am. He would have to know who I am in order to take a moment and share something with me that I believe is an individual revelation, a revelation between himself and me. There have been times when I've asked him questions. I've asked him, what do you see through your eyes in this situation? What do you hear in your ears in this situation? And he has responded. I believe that he has responded and given me insights that I believe could have only come from him, which is why I say with confidence that he has shared things with me. He has to know who I am in order to accomplish that. These are some reasons why I have confidence that I have a place in his kingdom, why I have confidence that he will say to me, I know who you are. And I believe that you can also relate to some of these things that I have said, so I would like you to be encouraged and to also rest in the truth that he knows who you are. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,